الجزيرة بودكاست. Hi there, Malika Bilal here. I'm handing the mic this week to my Al Jazeera colleague, Kevin Hurden. I'll be back soon. Anyone familiar with QAnon might associate it with people like this. The QAnon shaman is pleading guilty to charges for his role in the Capitol riot. This man became, in a lot of ways, the face of the insurrection. In its early days, the wide-ranging conspiracy movement had a home on the fringe corners of the internet, where it took a bite out of other theories, like the one accusing a pizza parlor of running a child trafficking ring involving then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Pizzagate started on the internet when right-wing sites that make up fake news spread rumors that Hillary Clinton was involved in a child sex trafficking ring in D.C. Or the COVID-19 pandemic being an organized plot from people like Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci. Nothing is more insidious than the so-called pandemic conspiracy theory now floating about which alleges that coronavirus was engineered to increase vaccinations and make people rich. QAnon seemed to have gone dormant after U.S. President Donald Trump lost his re-election. But a reporter who's covered the movement for years says the phenomenon isn't a relic of the past. It's more like a portal into the future. I think QAnon really harnessed and accelerated that conspiratorial slide that Republicans have been on for a while. How mainstream has QAnon gone? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Will Summer. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of the new book, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America. Will's been on the QAnon beat ever since the conspiracy theory originated on the website 4chan back in 2017. And at times, his reporting has gotten surreal. So in 2019, I'd been covering QAnon for about a year, and I went to a QAnon rally at the Washington Monument. And one of the speakers got up, and he apparently spotted a guy who looked like me in the crowd, and he said, there's Will Summer, you know, get him. And all of these QAnon believers start yelling at this guy, getting up in his face. And I sort of got a taste of what might lay ahead for me if they recognized me. I recognized this sort of growing ferocity of QAnon and this anger. That might have been one of Will's first forays into QAnon's ferocity. But he's been familiar with different strains of the U.S. right wing for a while now. So I grew up in a pretty conservative background in Texas, consuming sort of what we would think of as sort of maybe like Jeb Bush Republicans. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't uh, you know particularly out there, but it involved a lot of Rush Limbaugh and talk radio and, and Fox News and all this kind of stuff. Jeb Bush is a member of the Bush dynasty, which includes both presidents, George Bush. And if you're not familiar with Rush Limbaugh... I mean, this is a guy who was sort of the king of American talk radio, who created basically this conservative talk radio format. It's already been established there is no man-made global warming. Not only birth control, but uh, there are studies that say abortions increase the chances of breast cancer as well. The Clintons have their tentacles spread deep, woven intricately throughout the Democrat Party hierarchy. They are the machine, and she is the machine candidate. And so you're talking about like three hours every day of, you know, Hillary Clinton's the worst person to ever live and sort of implying maybe she murdered people. Just sort of all of these conspiracy theories and this kind of constant bashing of Democrats, but often in a very entertaining package, particularly in places in the U.S. where you're driving all the time. 
this is is a voice that's with you all day. It is kind of that constant drumbeat in your head. And uh, and so I think that helps explain why so many people were primed for something like QAnon. And then, you know, you get home, you have three or four hours of Fox News primetime as well. This is the coming insurrection. It is. And it is imperative that you get up to speed, do your own homework. So there's sort of a whole conservative media bubble that you can live in and, and that, that I'm fascinated by covering. That conservative media bubble warped when Donald Trump entered the political scene. That began with a conspiracy, suggesting that then-U.S. President Barack Obama wasn't actually born in the United States. His grandmother in Kenya said he was born in Kenya and she was there and witnessed the birth, okay? He doesn't have a birth certificate or he hasn't shown it. As the Trump campaign gave way to a Trump presidency, an even bigger conspiracy theory was born on the far reaches of the Internet. QAnon. QAnon started in 2017 with these anonymous posts by a figure named Q. QAnon followers think this is someone close to Trump, uh, maybe his son, maybe it's his national security advisor, something like that. These posts contained cryptic clues for followers to piece together like a crowdsourced puzzle. And these clues sketch out a worldview in which the U.S. government and really the governments all over the world are controlled by a nefarious cabal of world elites in the Democratic Party and Hollywood and banking who worship the devil and murder children and drink their blood in satanic ceremonies. The second part, though, is the good news, which is that Donald Trump was recruited by the military to run for president and take on this cabal, and that there's going to come this moment called the storm, in which all of Donald Trump's enemies, and, and by extension your enemies as a QAnon believer, like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, even Oprah Winfrey, all of these people, will be arrested and sent to Guantanamo Bay and maybe executed. And then for everyone else, this sort of utopia will happen because all the bad people have been taken away and now all the diseases will be cured, deaths will be abolished. So after that, that we'll live in a sort of paradise. So that's how the conspiracy started. But QAnon has evolved since then. The conspiracy's followers may carry out more acts of violence as they move from serving as, quote, digital soldiers to taking real-world action. According to a study from the University of Maryland, more than 100 QAnon supporters have been moved to commit crimes in the United States. Will says no other U.S. conspiracy theory has inspired that level of violence. The heart of QAnon is this idea that, like, the people you don't like are doing the worst things you can possibly imagine to children. And no one's going to do anything about it except you and, and maybe Q and Donald Trump. And so it sanctions this sort of eradication of anyone you don't like, really. And so, you know, I mean, I, I think it's sort of it's no surprise when you think about it that way that, that you end up having some people who really commit violence for it. So for someone like Will, reporting on the QAnon movement can be a real risk. Q has mentioned me in his posts and stuff, and so I've been sort of folded into the conspiracy theory as a maybe junior member of the cabal. So, you know, I try to wear a hat or sunglasses. I mean, I'm certainly not lying to people about being a reporter, but I'm trying to avoid a situation where if there's someone who particularly hates me, that they can spot me across the crowd. And, you know, this, this really became relevant on January 6th. January's riot at the Capitol was a turning point for the conspiracy movement QAnon. On January 6th, QAnon's presence in the mob was unmistakable. When I saw other reporters getting beaten up, and I realized that the cops had other things to do than protecting me, and so, you know, I really, really tried to lay low in incidents like that. On January 6th, Donald Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol over their belief that the election was stolen. And all of a sudden, QAnon was in the national spotlight, 
and under judicial scrutiny more than ever before. But at that same time, the posts from Q that had been a beacon for followers went dark. The person who's widely thought to be Q after January 6th said essentially, well, this journey's over. Thanks for all the friends we made along the way. And suddenly I was like, see ya. You know, good luck with these uh, federal indictments now hanging over your head, QAnon believers. I think QAnon started to move on without Q. And they started to say, well, you know, maybe this is a guy in his mom's basement. But uh, what he taught us is real. And now, if Q's not with us anymore, and if there's no plan that Donald Trump's going to implement, we need to do it ourselves. And for a while, it did seem like QAnon believers weren't entirely on their own. There would be someone who would say, you know, I'm friends with Q, I'm R, right? The the letter after Q, particularly after January 6th, we've seen a lot of genuine people who have some connection to Donald Trump sort of claim that mantle and say, you know, I have secret information. I'm thinking about former Trump national security advisor Michael Flynn or a Trump lawyer Sidney Powell um, or these, these people who appear at QAnon conventions and say, oh, just you wait, you know, we've got some real proof of how the election was stolen coming up. And the audiences are so desperate for this sort of Q-like new information. They don't want to admit Trump lost and that they have so much of their own lives wrapped up in the Trump movement, but also that they um, they kind of crave the excitement. These people, Will mentioned, Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell, have long histories with the U.S. government. For me, in the reporting of the book, it was remarkable how thin that line is between random internet QAnon garbage from an anonymous person to some of the most powerful people in the U.S. government. Take, for example, Ginny Thomas, a conservative activist who's the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She is sending text messages to the White House chief of staff saying, uh, hey, I read this QAnon thing that says this whole election was a it was a ruse to catch the Democrats stealing the election. And soon they're all going to get sent to Guantanamo Bay. And I mean, and this is this is crazy stuff. Even in QAnon, the stuff she was saying was like, oh, that's a little crazy. So, you know, the idea that that line is so thin, I, I thought was just remarkable. And if the line between Internet conspiracy theorists and people in power is thin, U.S. Republican officials aren't doing much to make it thicker. Kevin McCarthy, who's now the Speaker of the House, uh, he initially, before QAnon had really gained a foothold in the party, he said, oh, this stuff's ridiculous. Then a few months later, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a QAnon believer, wins a Republican primary nomination, and so she's officially part of the party. These days, Marjorie Taylor Greene has become one of the party's most prominent faces. Q is trying to tell people on these forums and 4chan, and he's trying to tell people the truth. After her election back in 2020, McCarthy told reporters Green had apologized for her past beliefs. But he also said, I think it would be helpful if you could hear exactly what she told all of us, denouncing QAnon. I don't know if I say it right. I don't even know what it is. QAnon. I've never heard of this. You know, and he said he mispronounces it. He said, you know, let's stop talking about this. So really, you can see once QAnon believers get into the party and establish a foothold that and frankly, they're they're really unhinged. I mean, these are the people who helped do January 6th. And so I do think that there is a a visceral fear on many Republicans' behalf as well. Conspiratorial thinking is so widespread in the party. And so even if people don't say, like, I'm a QAnon believer, it is hugely popular now in the Republican Party to believe the election was stolen, to believe that uh, vaccines will kill you. And so at the point where, you know, if you imagine some Republican leader saying, "Okay, we got to root this out, you know, where do you start? You're going to throw out the whole party, basically, if you're saying, "Okay, we, we have to acknowledge that elections are real, uh, you know, that vaccines are okay, stuff like this. I mean, QAnon really has, I think, succeeded in a goal of of spreading this conspiratorial thinking throughout the party. I think it's been hugely successful in powering the current anti-LGBT backlash. 
A lot of the language the right has adopted around discussions of being gay or gender identity is focused around what they are calling grooming. Now that's a term that's associated with abusers and molesters of children. This idea that any gay teacher is a pedophile or is a part of a larger network meant to molest children, I mean, is clearly taken from QAnon. I think the QAnon branding has become so toxic, a lot of Republicans aren't saying like, Q, 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 uh, but, but they're using a lot of the same tropes that I don't think they would have before QAnon. How that's played out among QAnon believers and their families after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Journalist Will Summer has profiled many people who've gone into the depths of the conspiracy movement QAnon, as well as the family members of those QAnon believers, including one 20-something man and his father trying to help him. He is a guy who, you know, seemingly had a pretty good life. He had some roommates, he had a job, and then the pandemic hits, and like a lot of people, he gets into QAnon, and he suddenly starts saying, well, these celebrities are going to be arrested, and, you know, there's no point in me getting a job, because soon the storm will arrive and save America, you know, constantly arguing with his parents and saying, you know, why don't you believe me? And for the QAnon believer, this is like a world historical battle, and, and, you know, they're desperately trying to convince the people they love about it. And so, you know, they, this family just found themselves really without options. They, they went to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said, all right, I guess I got to Google QAnon. And the dad said, well, geez, you don't know anything, <laughs> you know. And I mean, it really was a, a unique thing that kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, the government, mental health people uh, really were all just ill-equipped to deal with it. Will says this father tried to find a way to manage conversations to keep the family peace. So this dad, you know, I'm talking to him on and off. And in this case, he was updating me. And then he said, well... You know, I think he's coming out of it. He's got a girlfriend. You know, maybe he's just getting offline a bit more. And then he called back and he said, oh, never mind. You know, he thinks the earth is flat now. And so I, I think that shows the, the persistence of these beliefs and the just really the difficulty of getting someone out of it. Will mentioned some family members have even turned to him for advice. A first in his career, he says. Usually, I mean, it's someone saying, my wife got into QAnon now and she doesn't want to vaccinate our kids. Or, uh, you know, my son just sits in his room all day doing QAnon stuff. And they say, what can I do? And, you know, typically I, I don't have a ton of great answers. You know, there are these articles online that'll say, you know, all right, here's the one to five steps to get someone out of QAnon. And they haven't worked. And so, um, you know, it is it really is a desperate situation. People have come out of QAnon is the good news, but it can be very difficult to uh, to sort of force the issue. Part of the difficulty, Will says, is how the QAnon belief system reinforces itself against outside information. The first instinct, I think, is to really debunk it and say, you know, all right, sit down. We're going to we're going to look at all how the World Health Organization says vaccines are fine or whatever. But QAnon is, is very effective at uh, undermining these sources of truth, uh, the media, academia, the government, science, uh, because they say, well, they all work for the cabal. And so it's hard to sort of logically convince them that it's fake. It's often better to, this is easier said than done, but it's often better to try to just get them offline and even get them obsessed with something else. Like if you could just get them into sports or like video games, there's really anything that, uh, that, that could get them off of QAnon. For some people, it's not even necessarily outside intervention that gets them out of the movement, but random moments that cause a believer to question a core QAnon truth. 
for example, um, one big QAnon proof was that uh, they felt that Q predicted that Donald Trump would say the phrase tippy top. This is an example of the kind of clue Q would drop, random words here and there that signified something greater. And this is very, this is very generous proof that it was sort of like sometime in the next couple of months, he'll say the phrase tippy top. Well, welcome to the 2018 White House Easter egg roll. So many people, you know, are supposed to... And that did happen at the White House annual Easter egg roll. We keep it in tip-top shape. We call it sometimes tippy-top shape. In reality, Donald Trump says this phrase all the time. And everything was tippy-top. I like tippy-top. I like everyone who goes to my buildings and my clubs at tippy-top. Right? Tippy-top. But then he did actually say it at the Easter egg roll. And so they kind of, they massage the facts and say, see, look, he said it. You know, Q knows him. And so there was there was this ex-Q believer who said that that was sort of what convinced him to believe in it. Uh, that this tippy-top video, he said, wow, you know, what a specific phrase. But then a couple years later, he sees a video of all the times Donald Trump said tippy-top previously. And he said, well, you know, that's, so I guess that proof wasn't real. And suddenly that sort of that sort of pulls the the brick out of the wall and it all starts falling and he starts sort of looking into other things that are fake. But stories of walking away aren't the norm, Will says. Instead, it's more like two opposite realities existing side by side, whether labeled QAnon or not. I think the Republican Party right now and, and, and sort of the conservative media more broadly, I think there's not really a lot of impetus for moderation or for a return to reality. I think about Tucker Carlson right now, who's the most watched cable news host in the country, whose whole thing is promoting the idea that January 6th was sort of just a tourist visit to the Capitol and that no no one did anything wrong. A small percentage of them were hooligans, but the overwhelming majority weren't. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. I just don't see these kind of key moments in American history and, and in our political life having such broad disagreement about them. I, I don't see the right coming coming back to earth anytime soon. In writing his book, Will says he was looking to answer a question. What happens when a portion of the U.S. buys into mass delusion? How do you have a, a form of government that's based on compromise and, and sort of some vaguely shared set of facts? How do we have members of Congress uh, negotiating with Democrats if they think Democrats are eating babies, right? How do we do this? Uh, And, you know, ultimately, it has other real-world effects. I mean, it reduces vaccination rates. You have this kind of bubbling strain of QAnon violence. You know, there is some good news. I mean, in the the midterms, we saw a lot of QAnon candidates who were on the ballot, uh, and they all lost. So that's a good sign. It's not as though we're, we're definitely headed into sort of QAnon anarchy, but I think there's a lot of signs for concern. The conspiracism has become so key to the Republican Party. This idea that there are nefarious groups out to get us, that elections are all stolen, things like this, I just don't see being dispelled anytime soon. Additionally, I think the role that social media plays has really supercharged uh, the growth of these conspiracy theories. So, so recruits and conspiracy theorists can find one another really easily. And so the Q figure seems to have gone away. But, but I think this movement and this strain really will be with us going forward. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, Malika Bilal, and me, Kevin Hurton. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Adam Abu Gad and Munira Aldasari are our engagement producers. 
Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.